0: This is Tim Doyle, lead pastor of Restoration Church. Welcome to our weekly podcast featuring content from our worship celebrations at 2nd and Francis in beautiful historic downtown St. Joseph, Missouri. We exist to love, lead, and launch people in their destiny in God. For notes about today's message or for more information online about Restoration Church, visit restorationstj.com. Here's today's message. It's so awesome, you guys. We've had Sarah and James here separately, but for the first time, having them together is such a massive blessing. Guys, thank you for coming. Sarah, you've been here a couple times on Mother's Day, especially, and James, obviously, you're kind of like, you know, sort of the, um, the old shoe around here. You yeah. just keep coming back, and we just, and again and again and again. We've taken ownership, bro. I need to get a quick update from you both, and Sarah, I saw your video this week about the house. And uh, this is something that was a dream of yours two years ago. And then this week, I saw you giving a tour of this place and tell us what the house is about. What's it for?
1: Yeah. So the uh, the, the house is, you know, part of Willow Bend Farms is that we're going to have a two year uh, program for the for the women. And, and who are these women? Uh, these are women who have been um, trafficked. So uh, our our mission is to restore survivors of human trafficking, sexual exploitation, and violence. That's awesome. And um, so, yeah, two years ago, uh, this, the, this dream was birthed, and I really didn't see that in two years we would actually have a house. In fact, in January, I didn't think that we would see one this year, but the Lord does amazing things. Yeah, right. that's right. And it's so, okay. yes, you got to see the house that way, but this past Thursday uh, there's an organization um, locally that does trauma-informed decorating, and so we had a big reveal, like, I let them in at 10, and then they kicked me out. They're like, you're out of here, you know? (laughs) So then we were able to come back in, and uh, it's still overwhelming.
0: That is so cool. And James, I know a lot's happened with Heartland Community Charities. Folks who don't know about it, tell us kind of what your vision is and what's happening.
2: Yeah. um, Harvest Community Charities actually started 12 years ago here in Kansas City.
0: And um,
2: I started with just uh, a a dream and and just uh, inquiring of the Lord and looking at all the things that were being done in food insecurity and just ask the Lord, isn't there a better way? And uh, so he's been unfolding that uh, for a long time. And about uh, six years ago, seven years ago now, I had an encounter with uh, the Lord and, uh, through uh, Byron Easterling. Byron uh, came back to me and, and he said, James, I had an encounter with the Lord. And he showed me something about harvest that uh, blew me away. He said, "It's got to have big wings." He said, "It will be as large as uh, a Salvation Army or a United Way in its influence of mm. what it's going to do." And a little country boy <laughs> from Louisiana, that that Ephesians three twenty thing really took a hold on mm-hmm. me, and you know, and I said, "Okay, God, I'm your guy if you want to do that." It's cool. And sure enough, he is doing some amazing things right now. Uh, um, Everything started here, and then he moved us to Alabama. And Alabama is in the top 10 poorest states in the nation, poor people eating poorly. So he's been showing us witty inventions on how to address this problem. Everything we do use fresh nutritional food. We don't use the food bank systems. And one of the reasons why we want to work with the faith-based community is because the church should have another aim, and that's to see people... <laughs> Come to know him and walk out the Ephesians 2:10, those yeah. good works laid down before the foundation of the world. So it's not just about providing food, it is about providing hope and connecting them. Because current systems has no way for people to get off the systems. Everything we do is for that purpose. So it's not about food, it's really about the heart of the person. And so I believe that God has put the church. Into this place in the culture from the very beginning to meet that need. Mm-hmm. It has never been the government's responsibility to do it. The Lord said to me as he was pointing out the scripture of him feeding the five thousand, and really there was more than that, as it could have been as many as fifteen thousand people. He said, My church can do more with little than the world can do with much. That's,
0: That's good.
2: So there's a couple new programs. Do you have those slides that I sent that I want to just give you a way to jump in and help? Because these are two initiatives that the Lord has given me for, um, can you get to the first one first? Uh, Prayer is the number one thing we need people to be doing Uh over this. And so we call it 30 seconds prayer. And that is when you pray over your meal, pray for those that don't have a meal to pray Uh over.
0: It's
2: a very simple thing. Uh, I've got about 100 intercessors that pray over the uh, charity every, every, every day. I like to say every day, but often. And we, we give them things that we need prayer over. The enemy has had this ground for years, and it's time for us to take it back. It is the church's responsibility because it's not just about the stomach. It's about the heart and the destiny mm. of people. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And the second thing is we've gotten, it's called Hunger 365 or Food Drive 365. Is, and it, these were two ideas that came out of my time with, in prayer and fasting and the first of the year. And the Lord said, I want to create more opportunity for people to get in. And so we've created a way for people to help on an ongoing basis to help alleviate hunger. And let me just tell you this, the commitment that you make will only be for 12 months, because we have formed two for-profit operations that are designed to fund a non-for-profit. So this is just kickoff funds to get, help people get started in different communities. But what it is, is hunger takes no day off, so it's 365 days a year. The next thing is, we've been able to put a meal together for family, that's two adults and a child, a nutritious meal for $3.65. It's amazing. So we've gotten with Sanford University uh, there in Birmingham, which is a a, a Christian university, and we put menus together to be able to provide food for people. So this is the way that works.
0: We obviously wanted to give you an update on these two and and how God is moving mightily. Isn't it interesting? Now let's think about this. Two ministries that help meet the needs of people that I think, I would say, are underserved or overlooked Absolutely. by the church in general. Yes. Feeding people and then also rescuing people trapped in sex trafficking. And Sarah, I don't know if you know this, it won't surprise you, that here in St. Joseph, remember in the news a couple of weeks ago, a big bus down on 169, and I think there were like 35 men arrested I may have the number wrong, but it was a significant number of people. It happens here in St. Joseph. You all remember that the very first person that I encountered when we got the keys to this building was a young male prostitute hanging out on this street corner right here. Yeah. It's here, folks. So I love the fact that Sarah's creating a model to help cities learn how to minister to folks. And James, of course, with the hunger issue, that's never going to go away either until the church steps up. Anything to add, Sarah? You've
1: well, I, I would just say, you know, kind of like what James was saying, you know the um, we've looked to the government to to handle a lot of these issues when a lot of these are hard issues, mm-hmm. a lot of these are kingdom issues, and the church has a great um, opportunity right. to influence lives, whether it be for food or whether it be in restoration of, of survivors of trafficking right. for generations, because you never know who you're affecting, because you're not just affecting one person, you're affecting generations that's right. on and on and on.
0: I appreciate you using the word opportunity, but I would say responsibility. Well,
1: that's true. <laughs>
0: but you're too kind to say that. I can say that because I lead a church, right? Church, you agree with that? Let's give applause and say yes and amen to both of these two. Because listen, I can appreciate the heart of a pioneer and how hard what you're doing. You're blazing a trail yeah. and uh, I know it's been hard and yet I'm so grateful. Uh, we get the advantage of catching up with you every (laughs) once in a while. We don't see the day-to-day grind, right? Mm -hmm. Just like you guys get to see this sort of exponentially Mm -hmm. advancing, but it's day-to-day here as well, isn't it, church? Amen. So the reason that I wanted these two to come together, not just to share the update on their ministries, but I believe they have a story to tell, and I really felt like, and I told them this, that I think that they carry a prototype uh, for churches in this hour, in this culture to help minister to people that come through the doors of a church in situations that let's just say maybe their lifestyles don't exactly fit a biblical pattern. And you know, Rabbi told me this from the beginning. He said, you've planted your church in the middle of an urban center, and you've put the name restoration on the building. Guess what you're going to get a chance to do? (laughs) You're going to get a chance to restore some people. So church people are going to come to us who aren't perfect. Um, Excuse me, if you're perfect, would you stand to your feet? Let us recognize you this morning. (laughs) I am actually slouching now so that I'm not being mistaken for standing. And, and I just love the story, and we've heard it from Sarah, and we've heard it from James, but we've never heard them together. This is the complete package today. So many of you who are new may not have heard Sarah's story, so I think that might be the place to begin, Sarah, to tell us how you got to the place where you're now helping women who are caught in sex trafficking. You have a story that uniquely qualifies you to relate to these women.
1: I'm going to try and give you, like, the brief rundown. I'm going to try and give you the brief timeline. All I can tell you is the Lord has been for me
0: Amen. since
1: birth. Amen. Even though I did not realize that he was for me. That's right. There were many things that I experienced in my childhood. Childhood sexual abuse. Um, at nine years old, I my father, my earthly Father, my biological father um, had a stroke. And on the day that he was having his stroke, I didn't realize this until probably, I guess it's been about seven years ago now, through flashbacks, because I have very limited memories of my childhood. But the trauma that happened on that day at nine years old, my earliest memory was that I was running out of a house trying to get to my father. I was urgent to get to him. When I arrived where he was at, he was having a stroke. So my best friend, my hero, my father, my daddy, um, from that day forward could no longer speak into my life in the way that an an earthly father that you want him to be able to. He's very, he's alive. Um, He lives um, adjacent to to Adam and I, and uh, we we care for him. I, I say we care for him. He's pretty stubborn. He likes to take care of himself. But on that day, what I didn't realize, flashbacks coming later on in life were that that was the day that I was going to reveal the abuse that had been happening by family members and, and friends of family members. Mm. I was running from that room. That was the day that I was going to tell. That was the day that I was going to say no more. Mm. And instead, I encountered a situation that transformed my life. It was also during that time that I had my first encounter with hearing the Lord speak to me. My father was in the, uh, in, in the hospital and everybody was telling me that he was okay and he was alive, but I did not believe them because I could not speak to him, I could not see him. Um, and my aunt actually called and put him on the phone with me and I was like, that's not my dad's voice. I didn't believe them, I thought they were lying to me but it was the first time that i ever heard the lord speak in that small still voice to me and say sarah he's okay and it it wasn't okay the way that i thought it was going to be okay <laughs> but that changed a lot of things in my life within a year's time i went from living in the country surrounded by family to living in the in the city my parents Um, got divorced. Um, I went to Florida. I came home. My parents were divorced. My dad was living down the street. My dad became an alcoholic and tried to kill himself by way of drinking. Mm. And so that was my teenage years. All during this time, my sexuality had been awakened in a very unnatural way. And my memories were of having sexual encounters with my female cousins, among many other avenues of sexuality. And I began to have um, all these feelings that I did not think were natural because I was in the church. I went to church, and everybody told me that it was wrong, yet why was I attracted to women? What was it? You know? And so I tried to hide it. I tried to suppress it. I tried to suppress it becoming um, sexually active with a, with a boy in high school. Later on, I moved into uh, in getting into my 20s, and I'm trying to make this as short as possible, but the, the, the depth of the story is what I need I, what I need you to hear, what the Lord walked me through, was that he got me to, um, in, my, in my 20s, um, trying, still trying to suppress, trying to suppress, not wanting to have these feelings, and not knowing what to do with them, until one day I had a very good friend of mine who was at my house and she kissed me one day and that was it and I felt like I was alive, that I was well and good and oh my gosh, this is what I'd waited for all of my life and I entered into a relationship with this woman. I lived in the homosexual lifestyle for 15 years and uh, during that time, that first five years that I was with this one particular person, I, I, I experienced every manner of abuse possible. I experienced sexual abuse, physical abuse, verbal abuse. There was one point in time that I begged her to just go ahead and kill me because I figured mm-hmm. she would do it eventually anyway. Mm-hmm. Because it was, it, was all, it was this cycle. And they say, why didn't you leave? I couldn't leave. I was so bound in shame because I had made the stance that I'm gay and I don't care what you think about it, and this is my partner that I could not leave the situation because I had made a stance. I had made a vow, and I was hell-bent on standing up for that, on standing up for the declarations that I had made, not knowing what they were doing to the very core of my soul. So I experienced lots of abuse until that relationship was over and I had the strength to leave. And then it became, I will never let anyone hurt me ever again for the rest of my life. Mm. So I began making other vows and other declarations. And then it became all about Sarah, whatever I wanted to do, my happiness. I would literally wake up in the morning and say, what is going to make you happy today? And Mm. I would go and do that thing without care or concern, how it affected anybody else in my life. Mm. Drugs, alcohol, you name it, I was in it. I was in it to win it and I did it well. And um, I I was just very self-absorbed. I was also very successful in my career and so money became a, a very big god to me. It was something that I focused on. I wanted to be successful. My dad was very successful before he had his stroke and he had kind of like just poured that into me. And I always, I wanted to make my daddy proud you know, not obviously not the drugs and alcohol, but I could do that through what he saw uh, me gain through my career and success and so I wanted his affection. I wanted his attention and so I would do it in the ways that I knew that I could I could get it and so I was very successful but again it was all about me and it was everything that I wanted and my experience in the church was horrible. Mm-hmm. I would go to church. It, all throughout this, okay? Please understand. All through everything, through high school, through my twenties, through my relationship with the, uh, with this one particular girl, we would go to church together. Um, and then I completely left the church because I tried to go back. Um, but when I would go, my godfather was the pastor at this one particular church, and I would go and pray. And when I would get done praying, all these people would come up to me and they would say, "Oh, I'm so proud of you. I'm so proud of you." I'm like, "Why are you proud of me?" I was praying. You know, like, oh, well, you know, God's going to fix you. What's wrong with me? Uh-huh. What do you mean he's going to fix me? You don't even know what I'm praying about. My mom would pray for me. She would tell me all the time, I'm, I'm praying for you. And, and that's a whole nother level of, of the story. I blamed my mother for a lot of things in my life, and I hated her, and I wanted you to hate her. So I, in essence, I did not have a mother and a father. I was for myself. Mm. I stood up for myself. Because I didn't care what my mother thought. My father couldn't really tell me what he thought. And so I was just kind of on my own, navigating waters, navigating life in not a very healthy way. I would have told you I was doing a good job, but I really was not. And then, you know, so my mom also went to this church. And they would, I mean, I would have people all the time like, I'm, I've been praying for you. And all the, I mean, it was just offensive to me. I was like, well, what are you praying my mom, one time, she was like, you know, I pray for you morning, noon, and night. And I said, well, what are your prayers? Because if you're not praying what I want you to pray, then I don't want you to pray for me. I would rather you just shut your mouth and go away. And I was literally, that was my mentality. Until one day, a lot of things happened that we don't have time to go in today. I met my husband, um... I had an, an encounter with him. I, we kept running into people. They were calling us husband and wife, and I was like, do y'all not understand that I'm gay? Like, seriously, you know? And then I felt like the Lord say, this is your husband. And I was like, God, we've had this conversation. I asked you to take my homosexuality away from me, and you didn't take it. So you must be good with it. We're okay. But God didn't, he didn't take me and Adam. He introduced the, inter- the relationship of Adam and I together um, in only a way that God can. I was not ready. I was not prepared for that. And I was like, nope, he's not my husband. Um, nope. You know, we, we have a good time. We hang out. I don't care what people are saying. But God really kept our friendship for nearly a decade mm-hmm. until he brought us back and God did a miraculous work. Then God moved me to Kansas City, Missouri. And I say it was a joke. I said I would never leave <laughs> Cleveland before I hit the mountains of Colorado. And then I say God, God did a miraculous joke. He was like, nope, putting you 12 where the mountains are 12 hours in either direction because uh, nature had become something of its own element of, a, of a, a God image to me where I would find peace. And uh, so I landed in, in Missouri, Missouri. And um, one day I was driving down the interstate. I was actually talking to Adam on the phone. I wanted to find a church, guys, okay? I, want, I wanted to find a church. And I was on the phone with Adam, and I was like, well, there's no th- the certain denomination in, in, uh, where I grew up in, where I was going to church. I was like, I don't even think they have those out here. <laughs> and um, I said, I've not seen one. And he was like, well, have you ever tried a vineyard church? And so at that point, I was driving down I-29, and I'm, I'm going down. And there was Harmony Vineyard right after he said, and I was like, well, oh, huh, that's interesting. It wasn't very far from my house, so I was like, well, I'll go. I'll check it out. So I did, and then insert um, Pastor John Brown and Pastor James Harris.
0: As you all know, Pastor John is one of our spiritual mentors. We've known Pastor John for a long time, and through John got to know this handsome guy. And so, James, now you got to pick up the story when Sarah, who didn't come into the church by herself no. initially, right?
2: No, that's right. Tell me and your
0: perspective here.
2: Yeah. As a matter of fact, they came in, and, and as you can see, Sarah's a very beautiful girl. And and, uh,
1: and I came into church with my partner. Yeah, that's she, what they're she, talking yeah. about. Yeah,
2: She came in with their partner, and she would sit on the front row and um um, the lord spoke to me um about sarah and he said i i I want you to love her actually he said i want you to love them and uh, and he said i want you to be over the top with it and so i said okay i know how to do that Um, (laughs) another one of my daughters is here today and she kind of came to me when i was 12 years old the Lord said, you don't have any daughters, I'm going to give you some. And so she, her and her sister was a couple of my first spiritual daughters <laughs> that, <laughs> that came. And and uh, anyway, and he said, I want you to be over the top. So they were sitting in, in the uh, in the front row over to my left. And one morning I was speaking, it was Martin Luther King's um, service that I've been doing for years and years and years. And Sarah and her partner were sitting on the front row, and uh, that's when the Lord spoke to me. But it was right after something came out of my mouth that was nowhere in my notes, and it just came out, and that was this. I said, we are in a generation or in a culture that doesn't know who they are. Mm -hmm. They're very confused about who they are. And I said, they're listening to the world that says they were born this way. But even that, God's got a remedy, and that's to be born again. That's right. And so out of my mouth, and I go, oh, boy, I've really stepped in it, because I never used a pulpit to preach at people. I, I don't believe in that. Mm-hmm. But I do believe in following the Lord. And so after service, Sarah and her partner came down, and they hugged me just like they normally did. And I go, well, I guess it's okay. It's going to be all right. And... uh so we started looking for ways to love Sarah, just to love her, just to love her, just to love her, just to love her. We would invite her over to our house uh, when, because she was in, in town, and we did this for a lot of people in the church that had no family, and whenever there was a holiday, you know, they had no place to go. So we would invite them over and, and have dinner with us, and, and uh, Wanda and I both fell in love with Sarah. And... Uh, One Wednesday night, I hadn't seen her for a few months, and she came to me after class and she said, can I see you? Uh, Well, she came to me uh, before class and said, can I see you after class? And I got to tell you I was very very nervous about that
1: meeting. <laughs> oh, I, no. I thought
2: god this could, this could be real good but chances are it's not going to be real good. And I and I'm sitting there trying to teach that night with this in my mind and and I I I don't remember anything that took place other than the conversation that took place afterward. And Sarah came to me and she said, "I know you know about me." And I said, "Yes." She said, "But you never judge me. You never you never uh, talk down to me, you never, you know, and she said, as a matter of fact, I think you went over the top to try to show that you really care about me, <laughs> and I said, oh, <laughs> I've been found out, huh? <laughs> <laughs> and she said this next statement that blew me away, she says, it's been like a battering ramp against my heart, because I love God, and she said, it has just broken something inside of me, and I want you to know something. She said, I know the man, I'm going to marry. I go, okay, that's great. That's a good step. (laughs) And then she said, I want you to do the wedding. So, and no matter where I'm at, you got to promise me you're going to do that. And I said, okay, I will. And I said, I want to meet the guy sometime. And so (laughs) Adam came to the church, and I just fell in love with Adam. He's just a, if a man was going to give, if a father was going to give his daughter away, he would be one of the men that i would give my daughter away because that's what sarah is to me she's my daughter and uh i love her she couldn't have i couldn't have any more love for her if she was my blood daughter and all my all my daughters and sons i feel the same way about uh-huh. and so sarah is part of our family and she's uh, she's a tremendous blessing uh to me. And uh, yeah, I got a lot more I can say, but I'm not going <laughs> to shut up. Well, but. the
0: thing I think, James, that goes without saying is we've condensed the story for the sake of time, we have. Yes. both yes. Sarah's story and James' story. The thing that, that caught me, though, about James' uh, posture as a pastor in a church, a sizable church, church of about a 1,000 people at the time, um, was he said, the Lord... Asked me to treat Sarah like a daughter, and I said, "Wow!" And if I can just be a hundred, can we be a hundred today? <laughs> I've got sons and daughters who I love, whose lives could be open, <laughs> open season for people bearing the gospel gun. And that's one way we can handle the situation. That seems to be the way the church has handled it for quite some time now. And look at where it's gotten us. And I would just say to honor both of you, how much your story has touched me personally and has helped me. In fact, what you don't know, church, is that I lean on these two a lot because situations come up and I say, I need some backup on this one, and so I'll send a 911 to James and Sarah, and so I need you to pray right now. Church, here's what I know. We live in a culture that does not respect what this book says, okay? They just don't. So how are we going to handle that when people come in and we say we're Restoration Church and we love everybody, Right? But then we find out where people don't measure up. And it could be a million different ways, right? Not one particular way. How will we handle that? What will we do? What does the Father's heart look like? And that's what I think is so beautiful about this story. Both Sarah's ability to, even though she didn't like it, there were people praying for her. And you can see how the sovereign hand of the Lord was moving you like a chess piece in position to the Right. right spot and preparing a man to embrace her before she made any decisions that perhaps, as a Christian, you would approve of. Are you hearing me today? So critical. Am I? Am I on target, guys? No.
1: I'm, absolutely. Yeah. I'm,
2: absolutely. I'm, well, say something, yeah. Absolutely. And then I'll say something. <laughs> yeah. One of the things. Let me. Let me get pastoral just a little bit. If, if you guys are okay with that, uh, the Word of God is forever settled.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: We don't have to go out and. You know, do Jesus isms and tote a 10 pound Bible under our arms and a, you know, a, a Jesus pin on our lapel. I mean, do those things if you want, but don't think that makes you more godly.
0: That's right. Mm-hmm. That's
2: right. God has called us to be salt and light. And I'm going to be, share a little thing I said to the church the other day. My grandmother, who was born in the late 18th uh, uh, 18, eight, uh, 18 90s, said, when we kids would do something that we were going to have to do over, she says, you know what? Every time you do that, you do it bud backwards. And I go, (laughs) and we knew we were about to redo something again. (laughs) But what she was really saying to us, and the church has been doing that, Jesus said, I'm going to make you fishermen of men. And the church has tried to clean fish before they ever catch them.
0: Come on. Come on.
2: You got to have relationships with people. That's it. the The world knows more about what the church is against than what the church is for.
0: That's exactly right. Yeah, yeah,
1: it's, yeah. It, it, it's very true. Because I I want y'all to know, you know, when when God was speaking to James and saying, "Love Sarah, love her like a daughter," there was um there there's two particular days that that still stand out. There were a lot of days, moments, whatever, but these two were two very intentional moments where um, James was speaking one day, and I don't know if this was the same Sunday or not. It may it may have been, but um, there was something. We were breaking. We were going to have a coffee break, you know, and kids were going to go, and, and then the service was going to start. My eye, he was across. He was all the way across on the other side of the church, but I saw him um, take off like, you know, because people grab the pastors, right? You know, like, I got to talk to you. I got to talk to you. So, but I saw him take off up the stairs, go in the balcony and I'm standing there and I'm watching him, <laughs> you know, and I'm doing this. And then I watched him and he was coming down the other side. And I was like, oh my God, he's coming over here. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I was like, Cause I was like, where is he going? And he's said, like, he's in a hurry. And then he was right in front of me. And I was like, in the world, and this was a day that, you know, and I, I'm standing there with my partner, and, uh, and it was really, it, at, in the moment, it was a little awkward, because he came, he was speaking directly to me, and he was like, the Lord loves you, the Lord is all over you, and he just wants you to know how much he loves you, and I was just like, okay. I didn't know what to do, you know? And I, and I was like, you know, well, what about her? You know, (laughs) you know, but I I was, I was very overwhelmed But God was very intentional with how he had James love, love me. And then there was another day and I was by myself. Um, her and I, I think I had split up at that time and I was attending by myself. And, um, he came over, he has a, um, a, a daughter-in-law, her name is Sarah, they, um, it wasn't his daughter-in-law yet, but they were, when they would have communion, they would have family groups would come together. He sent Sarah over to get me and said, James would like you to come and join our family for communion. And I was like, okay, well that's good, you know. <laughs> so I go over and so him and Wanda are there and, um, and the boys and Sarah and we're just standing there. And he begins telling me that um, the Lord says that, you know, you're part of our family. And so when we have communion, I would like to invite you in because the Lord wants you to be part of our family. Now, the implications of what James was saying to his heart and to mine were completely different in that moment, okay? What he was saying is you're my daughter. Mm. What I was thinking was, Great! I don't have to do communion alone anymore. You know, what? <laughs> you know, you know. So it was one thing to him, but it was another thing to me. But it was straight from the Father's mm-hmm. heart. It was the same message, but it hit us both differently. It hit me at the point where it needed to hit me. But he was speaking the words that he needed to be authoritative to say and to mean. And it took me a while to accept him really loving me as a daughter. Mm. It wasn't an overnight, oh my gosh, okay, great. It was through what what he just said, building a relationship. There were times when I came to the church, I was in and out. There were times where I would come, I wasn't ready for God. There were times that I would come to church and I had been drunker than a joke the night before (laughs) and still show up. You know, he still loved me and he could probably smell the alcohol on my breath. It was oozing out of my pores or the drugs coming out of my system. But he loved me exactly where I was. He didn't, he didn't say, I'm going to love you as a daughter if you'll do this. It was none of that. There were times that I disappeared from the church that I didn't come. He would send me a message here or there, or he would call here and there. He didn't chase me down. He didn't show up on my doorstep. He didn't send me these Bible verses and say, "You got." It. he would say, hey, you know, I'm thinking about you. I love you. Period. The end. So good. The end. And that is what began to, the Lord knew I needed a father to speak into me. He knew I needed parents that I could hear. I'm a communicator My dad, the communication was taken from. Mm. So what did God do? He gave me a wonderful man of God to be my father, to speak into my life. He speaks things that I don't always want to hear, but he has the authority to do it because God gave it to him, and I submitted to it. Mm.
0: Here's what I need you to know, church. This is the culture of this house, what you've just heard. It may not be your personal preference. I could build a church by preaching red meat sermons that takes the scripture and uses it, in my opinion, like a club. I could do that. And there'd be a lot of people who would applaud me for it. But that is not my heart. And I don't know how to be any other way. This is still the truth. I'll never compromise this. I promise you that. But this must be delivered in the context of the Father's heart. I wanted you to hear this. Is your heart ready? Because I'm telling you, church, this is the issue of the hour. If you don't believe it, you're not reading the news at all. We live in a culture that does not agree with what this says. So how we present this to that culture and how we treat people who come to us knowing what we believe. I think of the woman caught in adultery. This is the story that always just ministers to me. The Pharisees, who were they? The religious people. Bring this woman, throw her at Jesus' feet. She's caught in the act. And they got their rocks in their hand ready to cast them because by the law, that's what they get to do and they come to Jesus, he treats it a little differently, doesn't he? He's God. He knows everything. He basically says, so if you guys are so perfect, go ahead and, and cast the first stone, the one of you that's never messed up at all. And they just kind of slowly drop the rocks and sneak away, right? <clears throat> Jesus says, hey, where's, where's your condemners? Where's your accusers? And she looks around and says, They're gone. And what did he say to her? Neither do I condemn you. He didn't put any requirement, there wasn't any prerequisite. If you do this, this, and this, he said, I don't condemn you. And then he said, Go and sin no more. But there was no guarantee she was going to do that. Mm-hmm. The first thing he said was, I don't condemn you. Church, we've gotten about 150 years worth of condemning, and look where it's gotten us. We still stand on the truth, but the way we present the truth in the vehicle of the Father's love, through his heart, makes a world of difference, the impact it makes on the one who needs it the most.
2: Pastor Tim, I have just one, just a couple things if I could share with you this morning. Everything we're talking about comes out of the love of God. The love of God. The love of God. My heart is to see Jesus receive everything his blood paid for. That's right. And that's a redemptive thing. Do you understand? Here was a is a life. And every one of us in here, and we have areas of influence in our lives, that God created every one of those people in our lives, in this world, for a purpose. As a matter of fact, he created the purpose first, and then he created them. So salvation is not just getting a person to heaven. It's not just a goal. Salvation is a gateway into that eternal life That's that he right. had for them. Do you understand that? Look at the lives that this lives is touch, this life is touching, and this life that she touches would touch other lives, and it goes on and on and on, that was locked down. and the thing that needed to unlock it was the love of God. You see, I knew something, and I love to do this. No one can resist the love of God. That's it. I, I'm That's telling it. you. Uh, We we see all the issues we got in our world and everything. There is nothing we face in our culture that the gospel cannot solve. Come on. But if you put a one-word definition to it as being salvation instead of goal into a new way of living, because the gospel changes the heart, nothing else does that. That's right. It's not just what you do. It's why you do what you do. And when he gets your want-to change,
0: (laughs) he's got you. That's it. (laughs) That's right.
2: So, I'm not about resisting something anymore because my heart got changed. That's it. And when my heart gets changed, everything I do gets changed. That's Laws so can only affect the exterior, it cannot affect the interior where the real person lives. So good. And that real person has a destiny in Christ.
0: That's so good. That's
1: right. There is nothing. That supersedes the word of God.
2: That's right. Amen.
1: Nothing. The word of God is infallible. And people call themselves Christians, but they want to take a verse here and a verse there and create a doctrine and a theology that is not correct because you cannot take one without taking the whole. That's it. People ask me about homosexuality quite a bit. What do I do here? What do I do? What do I say? What do I what What do I do with this? How do I act? The thing that I always tell them is love. Love. That's Homosexuality right. Homosexuality is nothing above or below any other sin of this world.
2: That's right. That's right. That's right.
1: It is one that is seen. It is one that is out front, but there are so many that Satan loves to get in the hidden places. That we may be able to walk around and say, Well, I don't do that, but what do you do? Amen. That's Where right. Where does he have you in the hidden right. That's place? right. And the word of God, I can tell you because I did this. I believed that I was okay with the Lord because I had built a theology that had me going to heaven, even though I was in relationships with women. But it was based around just a few verses. But then one day, the Lord sat me down and opened up the whole book of the Bible from beginning to end, and he showed me every lie that I had ever believed, every way I had ever been hurt, and he showed me the truth. so good. We had some very... Hard conversations, me and God. I was angry. I cussed at him. I yelled at him. But he met me where I was every single time. And he opened his word and he showed me truth. Mm -hmm. But this is what I want you to know. You love. You love with truth. But your first mandate is to love. That's it. Your first mandate is to love. This is something that I felt like the Lord spoke to me um, just in this last couple of days. You do not know who you are loving through something. Come on. You do not know who you are loving through something. For the past four days, I have read the entire book of Esther from front to back. (laughs) Esther was orphaned. Her mother and her father were killed. She was raised by her older cousin. He didn't have to do that, but he did. Then she was called because there was an edict that was put out for all of the young, beautiful virgins to be brought. So she was brought in. She was taken to an Aram where she received beauty treatments for 12 months. During that time, she gained favor from the, the eunuch that was taking care of her, and he gave her maidens from the palace. Everything that she had been through nobody knew she couldn't give her identity she couldn't say that she was a jew her name was changed and she was called esther she was then under the beautification treatments she was sent to the palace along with the other girls to be set before the king she could take anything that she wanted but she took the eunuch's advice on what to take and when she came She gained the favor of the king, and he was attracted to her. And he put a crown on her head, a crown of beauty, where her life, she did not know where it would go. There was a gentleman named Haman, who, what you need to understand, this is what Satan likes to do. Uh Haman shouldn't have even been alive. If King Saul would have done what the Lord had ordered him to do, And annihilated all of the Amalekites, Agag would not have been living. And Haman was a descendant of Agag. Mm. There was a remnant left for evil. Mm. And it began to build because Haman had many sons. And Haman wanted to get rid of the Jews. Esther was a Jew but she was hiding who her identity was you never know who you're living through something That's right. Haman didn't care what it would cost him he was willing to put 10,000 talents into the royal treasury if the king would put out an edict to destroy the Israelites 10,000 talents is 55 million dollars 55 million that was nothing to him. Satan doesn't care what it costs to destroy you. doesn't cost but Esther Esther risked her life to go before the king in a time when she was not supposed to go but after fasting and prayer she went to him to seek freedom for her people. you never know who you're loving through sounds right. Mordecai did not have to raise his cousin. He could have just sent her away. But the Lord worked with her through things. She didn't care about the cost, even her life. So this is what I'm saying. God has purposed and destined Mm -hmm. every person in this room. That's right every person in this world has a purpose and a destiny and you have one call that's right you have one call and that is to love Come on. i'm going to say something and i need you to hear my heart because the scripture is true what does it say about lying and stealing and adultery and homosexuality? All those things are true. I said it was the infallible word of God, right? It is the infallible word of God. If you, if you say that, if you believe that, if you're a Christian, it means that you are, you are subscribing uh-huh. to the ways of Christ. Christian is not just a word. That's right. Christian is a mantle that is on you. Uh-huh. And if you carry that mantle, you do not have the authority to misuse scripture. So this is what I need you to hear my heart on this. Only because I have experienced it. You have the authority and the mandate to love. You do not have the authority and the mandate to judge. Only Christ. Only God Almighty. Because to sit in that judgment seat holds responsibility that I'm sure that none of us want Mm -hmm. or truly desire, if you know what it means. And now I want to speak to the person that feels like they might be judged. I want to tell you that there is a root to everything, every Haman, every lie, everything that's happened to you in your past, everything that you've done. I don't care if it's lying, stealing, homosexuality, there's a root to it. It's a remnant that Satan wants to carry forth throughout your life. And God Almighty is the only one that can remove it. I prayed for years for God to take this if this is not of you. If you do not take it from me, then we're okay. But you know what I learned? I learned when he started taking me through scripture and showing me the truth that it wasn't him taking something from me. It was me getting in a posture where I would give it all to him. I would give it. I would give it, and I would be willing. didn't care what the world said. It didn't care what other Christians would say because the Lord had put a James in my life to show me that there was real love that wasn't attached to anything else. Come on. There was no agenda with James Harris. There was no agenda. He didn't set out to, I'm gonna, you know, we're we're gonna get her married tomorrow. He didn't set out with that agenda. He didn't have it. To a man. To a man. (laughs) He didn't, well, you know, I couldn't in that time. But anyway, we're in a new day, unfortunately. But he, he didn't have an agenda. It was to love. There's no price too great for God either. He gave his only begotten son so that whoever may believe in him may have life eternal. That's right. The preposition in that verse says believe in him, not believe of him. Believing that Christ was real is different than believing in Christ. Mm. It is a very strategic preposition. Of is something of, in is something in. You believe in Christ. Do you believe in his ways? I'm going to give you one last thing because this was in this is in the book of John. Jesus' command, this is what he left us with. When I say your mandate is to love, John 15, 4, remain in me and I will remain in you. 15, 9, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now, remain in my love. And 15, 12, my... My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. And 1517, this is my command. Love each other. If you felt judged by the church and you say today, God, I don't even know how to get over that. Can I trust you? Can I trust the church? I can tell you this, you can trust God you can trust God. If you felt judged or hurt by the church, I want you to come. If you say, I don't know if I can love that way, Sarah. I don't know if I can, I don't know that I can stand up to James Harris. I don't know that I can (laughs) love like he loved. But do you want to? Do you wanna try? You wanna give it your best shot? All you gotta do is give it to God. You give your heart to Him in the most humble way that you can with no agenda of your own and only the agenda in the heart of the Father. He'll show you how to love. He'll he'll give you the words to say. He'll give you the actions. Will you come?
0: Thanks for listening today. We'd love to have you visit us in person at 2nd and Francis at our 10 a.m. Sunday morning celebration. To support this online ministry or to get more information about Restoration Church, visit RestorationSTJ.com.
1: Thanks again for listening.